0: 1 Samuel chapter 9 Beginning at verse 1 There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish the son of Abiel son of Zeror son of Bicor son of Affiah a Benjamite a man of wealth And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, "'Take one of the young men with you and arise. "'Go and look for the donkeys.' And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalem, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, but if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there's no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again, here I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, come, let us go to the seer.'" For today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. And as they went up the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? They answered, He is. Behold, he's just ahead of you. Hurry, he's come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. And as soon as you enter the city, you'll find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. The people will not eat till he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city, and as they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. It is he who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me. And in the morning, I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for your father's house? Saul answered, Am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Then why have you spoken to me this way? And look over at verse ten, or chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head. And kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? May God seal to us the glory of his word. Would you pray with me, Father? Thank you. We ask that you would visit with us now in the power of your Holy Spirit to help us enjoy your word and to marvel at it. And, and you're working in our own lives as we consider this wonderful truth of, the, of your providence So bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Lost. Donkeys belonging to Kish. You can almost imagine uh, Saul putting up posters on fence posts and stones here and there throughout the lands that he wandered. Lost. Lost. Donkeys belonging to Kish. And as we've just read, they were very, very lost. And all of that over their search of three days led to his servant, Saul's servant, just so happening to think of a prophet of God. He just so happened to have a piece of money. And it just so happened Samuel was in the city for that day only. And it just so happened that the ladies in the city hurried them up, saying, immediately, immediately go. It just so happened that Samuel, the day before, had heard from God about Saul. And so at the exact right time, Saul and Samuel meet in the street outside the gate with eventually Saul being anointed king of Israel By Samuel. And it was a bunch of donkeys that got things started. Now last week we learned as we considered the doctrine of providence that nothing just happens and that God is working. God's unseen hands, his invisible fingerprints are everywhere. We call this the providence of God that God rules, he's sovereign, he decrees, he purposes his will, and the act of accomplishing his will in the natural world, we call providence, his providence. The big things and down to the little things. And so Isaiah records God saying, Have you not heard long ago I did it? From ancient times I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass. I planned it. I accomplished it. There is no luck. There is no chance. There is no fate. There is a sovereign God who's powerful and purposes and providentially sees his purposes fulfilled, even if it starts with donkeys. Now this will be helpful. If you remember last week uh, our chain of events of, of events that like God forges in our lives. You remember the links and as he links and forges and one after another, how he does that, God is behind every link. He's at the head of every chain as well. And what we say is that God is the primary cause. Of everything. We say he is the first cause. Romans chapter 11 says. For from him and through him and to him. Are all things to him be the glory. Forever and ever. And that in Christ in him we live and move. And have our being. He is the first cause. Remember Joseph's life history. And as he reflected with his brothers on his past imprisonment and slavery and all that his brothers had done to him, he said, God meant this for good. God was the first cause, you see. God sent me here, he says. God has made me ruler of Egypt, he says. And so that is to remind us that God is the first cause of everything that happens. The question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? (laughs) God is the first cause of both, so what does it matter? The very fact that there is something rather than nothing is because of God. God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's the first cause. And Revelation 22, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the ends. In our text of Samuel, it is God who is the first cause of everything that is happening in this historical record. Everything that's happening around Saul and Samuel. In verse 16, he says, God says, tomorrow... I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. That's God's purpose. And he brings his purpose about. He accomplishes it. In response to the prayers of his people, he heard their cry and he sovereignly declared his purpose and providentially acts to see his purpose fulfilled in all of the stuff of life. God is the first cause. And how we say this providentially is that God, as the first cause, works through secondary causes. He works through secondary causes. All that is the stuff of life, all the things in, in, in the natural world. This is providence. God's working through secondary, natural causes. Because God typically works in invisible, mysterious ways, whether it's through a man in a field, or a bunch of donkeys that are lost, or the townsfolk that we read, or a a piece of a shekel, and this meeting on the street. Those are all the secondary causes but God is the first cause. When I saw Charlene the first time, I was at church. And I've told you, many of you have heard this before, and how I asked my mom, who, who was that girl? And my mom said she was a Lapierre girl. And back in those days, young people, we had Phone books. <laughs> and you might not know what that is. But we, I went through the phone book looking for the name Lapier. And I found her and her address. And I spent all summer biking around that house. Uh, walking around that house. Trying, hoping to meet her. To talk to her. And then at the end of that summer, the very last weekend, I remember I saw her picture in the paper, the Pembroke Observer, and her, she was on a baseball team, and there she was. And I looked at all the names, and Charlene Gimo, and I thought, oh man, I've been driving around the whole long house the whole summer. And, and about three weeks later, uh, we met providentially. It was a Friday afternoon, and a friend of mine said, you want to go on this teen, teen weekend? I'd never been to such a thing, and I didn't have anything to do, so I said, sure, check with my parents, great, good. Got my sleeping bag packed up, and off we went. It was being held at a school, and as soon as I went into the gym, I saw Charlene there. I thought, oh boy, it's going to be a good weekend. And this will be my chance to talk to her. And interesting how her mother, as she sent Charlene out the door, said, I wonder if that boy from church will be there. They didn't even know my name. And so all Friday evening, there was no chance to talk to her. And Saturday was coming and leaving, and I was getting a little desperate. And finally, we're in this little amphitheater in the school, and and uh, there was going to be uh, a speaker there, and when I came in, I looked down, and I saw her, and the seat beside her was empty. And I thought, this is it. This is my moment. And so I went down, and I sat in that seat, and I just waited. I'm thinking, what am I going to say? I don't know what I'm going to say. I should have prepared something. Why didn't I prepare something? And... I'm waiting for her to notice me because her head was turned the wrong way. And, and I guess I got a little worked up. I, I think I was really starting to gasp for air. Um, and, and when she finally did look over at me and I looked at her and my nose just exploded <laughs> with and there was blood everywhere. And... Uh, Oh boy! And I jumped up out of the seat and I ran to the bathroom and tried to clean myself up. And it was uh, it was humiliating to say the least. Um, I was thinking maybe I could escape from this teen retreat. I don't know if Nick anybody's ever escaped from a teen retreat. I came that close. To doing it I wanted to be as lost as those donkeys were <laughs> oh boy but you know I thought I better go that's my chance and I better go back so I went back and the seat was still empty obviously it was had a towel on it or something I <laughs> um, I sat I sat back in that seat and uh, And Charlene uh, started talking to me. I don't remember what she said, but she said later that she thought it was a very courageous thing for me to come back. Um, And that impressed her. So young guys, don't give up. Don't give up easy. But it's so providential. As we look back, Charlene and I, and you could probably explore this out with your spouse a little bit, of how God used so many things just even that weekend, how it just sort of snuck up on us unexpectedly and our parents were okay with it and, and we went to something we usually wouldn't go to and, and, and we were both there at the same time and, and how even God used a nosebleed. And it's amazing. We ended up dating for five years and then getting married And how God brings it all together. I could tell you since then. As I've reflected. So many things that have convinced me. That God wanted Charlene. And I. Together. And I'm sure you could come up with the same thoughts. And the same. Histories in your own relationships. With your spouse. And how God opened doors. Or closed other doors. And. Just brought it to pass so that you can say, God providentially led us together. We have to look beyond the secondary causes to see God is the first cause. Now, Jesus says this about the birds of the air. He says, my Or your heavenly father feeds them. You've seen birds eating all the time. You probably feed them. Sometimes in the winter yourself. You you are a secondary cause. God is the first cause. When you see a, a robin. Pulling a worm out or something. oh, Secondary. But God is the first cause. It's true for everything in our lives. And the. Jews would say this in the book of Proverbs. The lot is cast into the lap. That's how they would often discern God's will. They would throw lots. They said, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Ah, God is the first cause. Everything else is secondary causes. And that's true for elections. It's true for covid it's true for trials in our life, it's true for the joys, it's true for jobs and spouses and all the secondary causes have behind them God, who is the first cause. We see this in the weather easily. You see a storm coming in and the lightning and thunder and now it's snowing this morning. We call it the weather. And if we turned on a TV, we would see a weatherman going through his thing and telling us about cold fronts and how cold and hot are hitting and things are happening and winds and speed and direction and highs and lows. And he'll say about streamers coming in from Lake Huron and all of these things. Wouldn't you love a weatherman to say the first cause? On the air, to say something like this? It is God who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Wouldn't you love to hear that from a weatherman? It is the Lord God who gives rain in its season, the autumn rain and the spring rain. And our challenge is the challenge of modern Man, we're so steeped in materialism and what, well, our pride in scientific methods and so on and so forth, that we lose sight of the first cause of Yahweh, who is working behind all things and bringing all things together at all times. When we look at the weather, you can look again and you see God's hand. When you hear music from the piano. And the sound waves go out and the pianist that's hit it, those are all secondary causes. It's God himself who created the pianist, who makes the sound waves, who allows it and brought it all together for your enjoyment. You know, our world and our fellow citizens, they are blind to him and they are deaf to him. They neither see nor hear No field. For them there is nothing but secondary causes. And so they'll speak about the scientific. Yes. And the biologic. Yes. God made all these things. They'll say it was geology. Or astronomy. Or chemistry. Or sound waves. And on and on. But that's where they stop. But you brother and you sister. We don't stop there. We go further because we see further and we know better. And so the psalmist says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. You see, when we look at creation, we recognize God is the first cause. We look behind and beyond and know there's a wonderful, creative God so that we can say, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. We can't fail. We of all people, we must not fail to see and to hear in all creation and in all the events of your life, the reality of God's hand in everything to see beyond the secondary causes and know that there is a first cause of all and it's so very comforting <coughs> you know it's comforting because when events are hard in our life when grief is great and when pain is deep and when life seems cruel and unfair and when your heart is breaking. And we all know some measure of life's heartbreaking moments. When there are lost donkeys you're looking for, searching for to bring them home. That God is working. And when you're wandering in a fields, not knowing what to do or where to go. God is shepherding, that He's active in the present in your everyday life, at school, at home, in your jobs, wherever you go. And He's accomplishing through natural means His purposes because He loves and He cares and He is present. I sometimes pray, God, do a miracle. Have you ever prayed that, anybody? Is it just me? (laughs) God, please do a miracle. When we ask God to do a miracle, we're not now speaking of the providence of God. You see, the providence of God works through natural means and secondary causes. Miracles are supernatural events where God bypasses secondary causes and he administers his power directly. Miracles are first cause events. Think of Jesus when he healed or fed or calmed the storm or even the incarnation. God did it, period. <laughs> he lays aside natural laws, creation's laws are, are subdued at that moment of a miracle. Jerry Bridges is helpful in this, gives lots of good illustrations. For example, he talks about the making of wine and how the natural process ferments. And and it was all created by God and designed by God. It's controlled by God, all part of God's providence. But when Jesus turned water into wine, that was outside God's ordinary process was supernatural it was a miracle think of the metamorphosis of a caterpillar into a butterfly an incredible fascinating process but it's not a miracle from the very beginning of creation God designed the butterfly to morph out from a caterpillar and it's an expression of God's Providence, you see. You see the difference. I pray for miracles to happen, <coughs> and a lot of you do too. Please, Lord, do a miracle for a loved one, for yourself, perhaps. But more often, we pray providentially for God to act. Well, Lord, would you help me to be more loving? Lord, would you help me to understand and appreciate my spouse better? Lord, would you send or would you call or would you lead? Would you be with my child at high school today? We are praying that God would Marshal all the secondary resources uh, at his command to fulfill his will. And we're asking him to do this, to do your will. And he is the first cause. What are you asking God for? Maybe for a miracle for God to split the heavens and to send down his grace like a lightning bolt, perhaps, defying all the known laws of the universe? Or are you asking him in, in daily in the ebb and flow of your life to exert his influence um, to Accomplish his purposes each and every day in the people you meet, the places you go, the events that happen along the path of your your life that day, some unexpected. When Jesus was arrested, when he was tried and crucified, and hands were laid on him and he was nailed to the tree there were gentile romans there and jewish accusers and it was a a mess of political intrigue going on of religious f- fears and hypocrisies and accusations there were powerful positions being threatened. There was military considerations happening. The ever present tension between Imperial Rome and and the Jewish sensibilities. And most watching would say Rome put Jesus to death. Or some would say he was put to death because of the Jews. But all of that was secondary causes. Listen to what is said in the book of Acts. For truly in this city, Jerusalem, there was gathered against, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. You see, God was the first cause. Acts 2 in Peter's sermon, he says this, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God's. You crucified and killed and lay hands on him. Even his own son, you see. Jesus died on the cross. And the Father was the first cause of sending him into the world in the incarnation. And sending him to the cross to die. He willingly accepted that. Jesus willingly accepted the work the Father gave him to do also that we might be saved and that we might be forgiven and washed clean of our sins god is the first cause god for god so loved the world he gave his only unique son do you love god do you love god if you say yes to that question your love is secondary cause because the scripture says this we love because he first loved us he's the first cause even of your love for him you see all, all the links <laughs> all the links of our life that he forges, all of it leads back, all of it to him. And so we trust him every day. We can be at peace every moment. We can have rest. And all the joys and the trials and fears of our life, we can trust him because he is active and he is present. And he is working. Trust him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father. How comforting it is to know. That we trust you. And that you are worthy. That you are working in mysterious ways. That even today bringing us here. Here. And as we go from here, you'll go with us and ahead of us. And things are going to happen in our day today. Some good things, maybe some hard things. But nothing's going to happen that's beyond your will, beyond your care and love. And you work all things together for good. For those who love you. We thank you. For your providential care. And oh yes Lord. While we pray for miracles. And oh we would love a miracle. For miracles are quick. They're instant. They bring relief immediately. and Providence sometimes can seem slow to us. As the days go by. But in that slowness, your hand is doing mighty things and working on our own spirit and changing us and conforming us to Christ, giving us a better attitude and a better understanding and preparing us for what you have for us. Bless our young people here this morning who go to school and college Encourage them to stand fast in faith and to trust you in their days there as they interact with fellow students and with teachers and thoughts and ideas. Equip them and may they always know and, and sense your invisible hand guiding and leading them. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for our Savior. And we pray in his name. Amen.